the red live and we're live hello Yay. hello everyone uh very warm welcome to danielle uh we're uh Onletic and tribal are running a social advocacy uh interview series for influential employees and today we've got danielle jones hunt the global employee advocacy lead at bp a very warm welcome to you danielle hey thanks so much for having me it's a pleasure to be here tim and sarah um, and this is my first ever LinkedIn Live, so this feels like a, a natural big first step for me. So I hope that's okay for everyone. It's always good Amazing. to try new things, Danielle, isn't it? And we, and also, uh, it takes a little bit of time to warm up before people start adding comments. So um, I'm just going to say it right now because it takes two minutes to get to the audiences. If you want to ask any questions, just pop them in the comments, and we can we can read them out as we go through. So yeah, fantastic. And please please say hi if you're listening, so that we know um, yeah. who you are, and let's make it as interactive as possible. Um, so just to kick us off, Danielle, would love to understand your journey on social media. You, you've, you've built up a really great following on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, it would be great to know when you started, some of your experiences and where you've got to where you are today. I mean, if you follow me on social media, I everybody knows I'm an island girl. I'm from Trinidad and Tobago. I have a background in media, which is honest to say, you know, when you, you had a television show at one point in time, it might have made it a little easier to build an initial social media following. <laughs> which is true but i would say passion is what keeps that in place and always keeping things lively um my passion in a sentence is really simple to understand i'm like lizzo if i'm shining everybody's gonna shine so i think i'm in just the perfect type of role as well um in terms of what i do but when i think about where my journey first began it was studying environmental management yes my undergrad but really understanding that social media can help bring communities together and help drive education in new ways, driving access. And as a daughter of two people that always found time to lecture part time, you know, they were full time professionals, but maybe early movers in the gig economy um, back then, you know, my, both my parents lectured and I lectured while at Howard University. So it wasn't a surprise that I wanted to bring that level of thought leadership and thinking um, into a tool that I think can empower and help everyone shine. So at first I began, you know, in my personal life in my own gig economy, helping small brands and entertainment brands in particular start to connect with audiences in, on social media. Because in the beginning, corporates weren't listening. And I worked for a large um, financial company and was one of the people that was like, let's use social media. And that feels like forever ago, right? But it wasn't, that's where we were and helping to build those strategies and delivering in, in a financial heavily regulated environment was one thing. I was having fun on the side doing this for entertainment companies, um, doing things like owling and planking and helping to drive a new drive a new customer base and help entrepreneurs truly live and breathe and help to bring their businesses to life. So now in my current role, I'm helping to bring that passion into a company that's reinventing itself. You know, BP is doing, we're reinventing the company, we're reimagining energy for the people and planet. And that means invigorating and excited, exciting our people in new ways and helping for them to express why they believe that we can do this and helping them share with the world their thoughts and beliefs about our company, our change journey. And we're early and early in that journey, but employee advocacy is at the core of who I am as a person and who we are as a company because employee advocacy is part of BP strategy as well. So that, so, wow. <laughs> I'm just going to stop there. Right. And just take that in. Um, gig economy. I love that part-time lecturing while you're, while you're st starting to work as well. When, so what, can you just talk us through which social channels you're active on, Danielle? And was that a conscious decision? Have you fallen into it? Where, where are you active? Sarah, that's a really good question, right? I think I'm most active in a space that I care about the most now. You know, I'm an agile coach. I spoke about that and I believe in leadership development. So LinkedIn is, is a channel for me. I am looking at Twitter spaces with a bit of a side eye though. I am interested in that and Clubhouse too. But you can find me, I, I blog on Mojo Monday. You can, usually I have a piece then. I tend to write for three weeks and then take a break for three so people can understand my cadence. Um, and cadence is very important in the social media world. But when, I mean, I have several mentees and I speak to them about the importance of being much more multi-channel. Until you find what's really working for you, be everywhere. Like that's, that's my thought, but LinkedIn works for me. Um, and that's pretty much my focus. Yeah. I was thinking when you're talking about multi-channel versus single single channel i think that's really interesting because there's a lot of advice over the years about okay find one channel that you're good at and you know get going on that one 
but actually the more advanced people are multi-channel and it's all about the end person you're trying to connect to. Like, it doesn't matter if we, Sarah and I speak to you, Danielle, on you know, Twitter spaces or Twitter DM or LinkedIn DM or email, like we're speaking to you as an individual. Um, what, what is your, what, what's your perspective on you're trying to give people advice on staying in one channel versus being like multi-channel and spinning lots of plates? I think it's where you are in terms of, it, as you just said, where your audiences are and what your end goal is. You know, my helping people shine, connecting, um, helping people find their spark. My, my target market is really that middle manager. Like that's who I'm writing about for my Mojo Monday blogs. Somebody who's starting to get really focused on their career, might feel stuck. Or uh, my dream person is really somebody that's more established in their career and just thinking, how can I myself um, stay current and help you know, inspire change and start to embrace new ways? How can I connect with this quad generational workforce? Those people, they might not be up on the Instagram. You know what I mean? Like they might not be, they might not be doing TikTok dancing for work anyway. <laughs> so I think LinkedIn is the best place to, to find this audience. So that's why when I think about single channel, for me, that's what works for me. But when I help people, because I do, you know, both in my role at work and then with my mentee base, I always think about, hey, think about where your audience is on. What does this mean for you? So if it is you're looking to speak to government type people, maybe not TikTok. But if you're an entrepreneur and your brand is something that's young and fun and fresh, totally. If you're targeting like tweens, definitely TikTok type space. Um, if you are, I think, in, in the beauty and fashion industry, not that you couldn't use Instagram for other things, but I think Instagram is awesome for that. And um, I love the Instagram TV for longer type stories. I actually have some a friend of mine that's, that has built a fitness business and they're massive in that space just from looking at Instagram much bigger than any other channel. So as I said, I think it's just understanding your market, who you're talking to. It's like any other comm strategy, right? Like where's your audience? How can you cut through? For me, that's LinkedIn, but for others, it could be multi-channel. But I think getting really great on having a home for your content and maybe using other channels to help point to that is also useful as well. So that might tie back to, <clears throat> excuse me, what you were saying about you've got your blog, um, so you do your blog. I love the idea of a cadence, though. So you know that your your audience is familiar with your let's blog. I'm blogging for three weeks and then I take three weeks off. So because there's a lot of pressure on people, I think, sometimes that they feel I was chatting to somebody earlier about this. They feel like they need to be on LinkedIn and they've got they've got to get up, they've got to do their post for the day. But actually you can find your own rhythm, right? Is that I think that's a beautiful thing. I mean, as I start and saying, you know, I, I had a, a career in media. I did my stint, and at that time it was a live television show every day, five days a week. That's super hard. And sometimes, you know, people didn't show up, and then you're in a monologue. So that pressure was too much. And for somebody who I'm a mom and I'm a wife and I have a full-time professional job. Doing this is a passion. Like it's something that I love to do. And that means I need to make sure that my energy source is there. And that I recognize I have enough for three weeks of amazing content. And then I'll take a break and refuel. Like I, I fill the bag. Like what, what can I talk about? And one of the questions that people always ask me is, Daniel, like where do you get your inspiration to write? And that energy comes from talking to real people. So I think that distinguishes me from maybe some other folks in this field. Like I'm not just an online junkie. Like my inspiration comes from real people. I, as I, I spoke about my mentee base, I have folks that I coach, I have friends and I speak in my network. I'm always asking like, what's what's up with your boss? Like how, how are things where you work? Like what do you wish was different? And that way, like just listening, some of the themes are very similar, right? Like what corporation isn't going through a transformation? What team didn't get face to go virtual last year? Or many companies have the duality of a field workforce and an office workforce. And some companies like us at BP, we're just starting to embrace employee advocacy. So it's the same thing. Like, how do you bring those pieces together to write in a space that's powerful? And how do you have an authentic voice? And my voice is very authentic because it comes from a network. And it comes from also reading all my DMs on, on LinkedIn too, with people asking, can you share more about this? Or why did you say that? Or, or what do you think? I think that's so important to stay connected with real life, real life humans, not just the online space. Yeah, no, I think that's an amazing point because I don't actually love online and social media per se. Like I don't love being on my phone or being on a computer. I love having real life conversations. But I think 
what you made um, fantastically well as a point is that it's just a medium to connect with real life people. But the fact is you can connect and educate and find a massive community of those people. So I, I think sometimes people think, are oh, you going to be all about social media to, to be in social media? And actually, if you're sociable and you want to have some great conversations with more people, it just is a better forum. I think so. I, I would I would try to look carefully with the sociable piece. And that's probably my inclusive mind just sort of ticking. I think some people are genuinely, you know, stronger in the social media space. They can be more social than in person. Sometimes it feels less intimidating than having that conversation. Um, and I, I just want to make sure that we the social media has a space for everyone. But I think for me and folks like you, it sounds like, Tim, are... Uh, we are sociable. Like I am all about, I'll go into a room and say, like, what's one problem you wish that, sorry, what's one stress that you had in um, the lockdown that you got better at handling that you think you can take that forward? Like what's a skill that you learned in lockdown you think you want to take forward? So you can look forward to my writing about that. Or I just wrote a piece for the American Chamber of Commerce in Trinidad, where I'm from. Um, they reached out to me to say, Daniel, like women, how can they get ahead in a male dominated workforce? Well, I'm in comms, right? Like, it's nice to see you, Tim. But many, many folks in my field, um, we, we do tend to be at least 50 50, if not somewhat female dominated. So I went out and I asked friends in tech, um, friends who had worked in um, the alcohol business, fast moving consumer goods, like, what does that feel like? As well as um, the men and women who work offshore in, in my own industry and in energy. So I was able to write a really holistic piece and that's what i mean i think everybody can find their space and niche but don't feel that you need to be because sometimes i have people that come and ask me daniel like i'm nothing like you like you are bubbly which i think is a social term <laughs> but i want people to remember you can be your authentic self you can choose to write you can choose to vlog you could choose to TikTok dance if that's you but just think about how you can give influence so Sorry for being, I just, I can be so inclusive there. I think it's just to make sure that I think that's the beautiful thing about social media. That's what I fell in love with at Howard University. Everybody can find their space on social and everybody can build their personal brand to be powerful. Whereas sometimes in real life, you can be judged or ostracized for certain things and social media can give you a space. And I think that's just so powerful for individuals, for brands and for society. It can be really positive as well. Yeah, I think that reminds me of a conversation I had actually with somebody who's very technical and they're very introverted and normally not someone who who would be a, a sociable character in a in a face to face environment. But he he found his own way to be, express his opinions and thoughts and influence on social media through recorded videos with with like those aut automated robotic scripts. But he really. Yeah. That's his space. And do you know what? His customers love it. And they absolutely, they can't wait for the next one to come out. And and I think, you know, it really made me appreciate that everybody has their own way of being and, and not everybody fits the same, you know, profile. Not everybody can write. Um, and, and some people prefer to just be on video. So it's, yeah. you know, it's a fascinating that you've got to find your own, your own rhythm, your own cadence, your own way of doing things. So... Yeah, good so, point. Yeah, I, I think I think that's an amazing point. I I have a feeling that you've created lots of TikTok dancing videos from what you've said because <laughs> you've mentioned it twice. No? I'm, I'm certainly never going to admit it, Tim. Like, yeah, okay, like... you're going to admit it. Okay. So it's it's for everyone to to see if you can find them, but not for Danielle to volunteer that information forward. I um, I yeah, Are you on I, TikTok, Tim? I've got to ask you. Do you know I, had this I, conversation. I've, I've gone on there and I started uh, 45 minutes of watching video, random videos. I, I put in tennis because I, I, I like tennis. And then I saw the most amazing videos on tennis. And I found that I watched 10 in a row and then I clocked out of the app and uh, I haven't done any more. I've heard it's a bit addictive for that. You know, it, it can be. And I will say that as we think about our where people can find their voice, I have to say, I'm not channeling any employees towards TikTok, right? Or, or even any of my my major folks that I speak to, unless it is you are doing a startup type business. It's not the place I would say to start. Like, but it, it, again, it just depends. You know, where where can you spark? Like, where can you really help wow your your customers or your audiences? But that, that's not where I would start. Nobody is going to be wowed by my TikTok dancing. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but but I think I think what I've seen more and more. I wonder whether you've seen it, Danielle. Is 
is creating content on one channel and just pushing it out through other channels. I mean, I'm seeing TikTok videos being promoted on Twitter and LinkedIn because they're just good mediums for, or Sarah, I mean, I hear about your running through Twitter, but it's through your Instagram, which I hear about it because you share it through different channels. And when I'm speaking on Clubhouse, then I'm trying, uh, and actually I'm trying to do a LinkedIn Live Clubhouse uh, at the same time, pushing it out through different channels. And I just think that, it tests the multitasking element in you, right? Because because mm-hmm. you're trying to work across that. But are you are you seeing that evolve as a trend, Danielle, with finding the right channel to create the content and then the repurposing it out through different channels? Is that a big part of your social strategy or what you might encourage others to do when they get more mature? So as I think about, so I'll answer me as a person and then what I think I'm seeing brands doing, including our own, for me as a person, it is important to, I, I just did a cross post yesterday. So my five tips for, um, for leaders to, to just be better this week, like just quick reminders, um, including one that glorifying overworking encourages burnout. I think that that sentence is strong enough on our own, on its own. And, and, and honest managers are strong. You know, a fake person is, a fake leader is a weak leader. Those things are the types of reminders. I write in a very authentic voice because it was a short list. It wasn't even really a listicle. It was basically an image. I dropped that on my Instagram as well. And it was just shocking. It was the first time that I got comments on Instagram. I go, my God, I I love when you you write these things. These are just so helpful to me. And then people were resharing. And I just thought, huh, I might be missing a trick, which is interesting because that's in my personal life. But what we are seeing um, is that like with any robust social media strategy, you are seeing companies, including our own, sharing content. Like you'll find it on your official channel. You see, you might say something amazing. The quote, quote, quote type cards might be shared with employees so that they can get their voice, can, can help amplify that message and or create some of their own to be part of those campaigns. So that's what we're seeing for us at BP Employee Advocacy is about empowering our employees um, to help them be the same authentic people that our values, our behaviors, the shift in our companies really encouraging our people to be um, to help capture that energy. So if we tell them only share to one channel, that's not quite ideal because quite frankly, LinkedIn is big in some parts of the world. For other people, I want to share more about our about our company or about myself via WhatsApp. Some people feel a lot more comfortable in that way. That's that's a social channel as well. Whereas for others, it could be Zing or you know, QQ. It's really important for people to understand what, what's the channel where your audience is, where are you comfortable, especially if you're looking at employee advocacy. Don't force them to one type channel um, because that's not supporting inclusion either. And you know, Sarah, you were talking about me in the DNI space and women. It's it's very similar when you think about the broad spectrum of DNI. People should be able to share content with where their network is. That's the power of employee advocacy. If not, if you're just sharing with the people that you know are just like you, they all went to the same university. That's not very helpful. That's not helping the world understand your company better. So that's my my, my advice and thoughts to people that are working in this space. And to answer your question, Tim, single channel is great, but don't be afraid to to try. Um, other channels as well. That's a beautiful thing about social media. You can try and fail, especially in your personal life, which is where the, where it's okay to fail. Maybe not professional. <laughs> I have a, a question actually about something you you touched on earlier about learning and your the connection between social media and learning as an individual. And I think this has come up, Tim, on previous chats that we've had. Uh, a lot of people think social media is the broadcast platform, but actually, mm. what you learn it is so much more than voted so i wanted to explore that with you as to understand how you use social media to learn um and how you see that integration happening oh my goodness i don't know about anyone else but i think well online learning via social channels must have had a peak last year like 2020 that was that was the moment right it was probably simmering before but that was the moment so of course there's the formal channels which um, many of our folks access, you know, LinkedIn, LinkedIn Learning, Coursera, et cetera. And many of my colleagues um, at work, many of my friends are going that way. But I actually find there's incredible value on just staying active on the channels and one, observing what others are doing and two, just consuming. I think I first got into LinkedIn because it was such a great news source, right? Like people that I knew were curating articles for me, it felt like, like I wanna read that Harvard Business Review article on agility, awesome. And it happened to be in my LinkedIn feed without my having to go to it. So I do learn and grow from it. I'm still connected with the people who were in the first agile coaching cohort with me um, at BP back you know, 
some years ago when we did that certification together and they're always sharing articles and we've joined different groups uh, to help stay current and read about other people's journeys. So it's not in the past, again, that's the Daniel from Howard University that fell in love with this stuff, right? Like in the past media was very much like an editor had to approve it and somebody had to say this was worthwhile and there was a broadcast out. I think when it comes to learning, your network can curate the type of learning for you that's useful. So that's why I'm big on again, and sorry, Tim, I'm going to talk a lot about LinkedIn. I'm big on join your LinkedIn groups, you know, follow the hashtags because you can learn as well just from reading, reading and understanding, looking at the videos that your network is sharing. But then of course, don't don't ignore the formal learning offers either. And um, that's always key. I think LinkedIn learning is is just it's just stunning on the amount you can learn on that channel. Yeah, I I, I absolutely agree. I think I think people have become even even some senior execs I spoke to the other day that don't feel very comfortable on social media. They said that they log into LinkedIn twice a day, but they just do it to see what's going on. And they lawyers, yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but I mean, if if you if you ask them whether they're social media people, they would say, no, no, I, I I'm not very good at social media. But actually, they're consuming a ton of information from their peers curating the network like you said and and they wouldn't say that they're on social media but there's a massive amount of education and learning going on i think that's underestimated i think that's such a fantastic point and and linkedin and and and, and actually people that are not active on twitter they would say that they're more active on linkedin mm -hmm. sometimes say i go to twitter just to hear what the experts have to say or to find some content but then they maybe write a blog or something like that. So actually, if you don't see them on the channel, you think that they're not active at all, but there's, there's this amazing educational network that you talk about. Um, maybe we don't talk about it enough, Sarah, or I don't know how in an organization like BP or really big organizations, how you kind of leverage that learning or whether it's not designed to do that, it's just organic you know, part of the network, but I don't know. So what we what I can say is, you know, because we're early in our employee advocacy journey, VP strategy was only announced just last year, last February, um, which is amazing to just see the energy and the support um, for that from our employee base. But I think any company that's exploring this, you you can't get into employee advocacy without thinking about online learning and this, the social media element of learning as well. Um, Companies that have had massive transformations, successful, Microsoft, you know, Satya Nadella, like going from a company that knows it all, wants to learn it all. And a great way you're seeing that, you know, Microsoft puts out incredible thought leadership pieces. I think that we are as well, like our executives share great bits of information, helping you understand more about the energy transition. What is net zero? Why does it matter? Those are important, yes, to our company, but also to help the world better understand um, the importance of the energy transition to help other companies truly understand what is BP doing and vice versa. We can see, hey, like this is what Microsoft has done and learned from, maybe we try that. I think that's so important and you're seeing a lot more collaboration in the world. So in, as that collaboration happens in corporates, it's not surprising that employees are also learning from the stories of other employees. Like I wanna say in this space, for me, two people that I learn from a lot just from following them on social, you know, Bozma St. John, who's at Netflix, you know, speaking about the power of storytelling and very similar, her purpose of the, and understanding the importance of storytelling is now her job, you know, marketing at, at Netflix or the Sonda Brown Ducket, um, who can speak about that importance of excellence. Um, and now she's the president of TIAA, you know, in America. That's just absolutely incredible to be able to follow and learn from the stories of these women to understand their dedication to excellence, their journey, how they have worked hard. That level of thought leadership, I don't think people, well, now it's supported, right? There are people in roles like mine. But in the past, in the earlier days, as, as social media has grown, people just share the stories that matter to them. They share the educational pieces that were inspirational to them. And that sharing can be really helpful for companies to harness and for individuals to harness for self and personal growth. Have we lost you, Sarah? Actually, so can you hear me? Oh, there you are. I don't and we know. Can, hear you now. can you hear me? We can hear you now. We can. You were a bit I don't know what's out, going on. Can you hear me? It, yes, we can. Yeah. Oh, mm. I I'm going to come out and come back in. Is that all right? I'll be back in a minute. Just talk about well, yourself. We can, we can hear you fine now. My, my... 
We can hear you fine okay. now. That's all right. I'll just keep on. Okay. <laughs> what is going on? I was going to say, and I then I'll be quiet because I think there is a delay. Um, but about the learning thing and what you were saying, Tim, I think it is less structured learning on social media. And and to your point, Danielle, what I've taken from it is a bit more like trying to help employees find their own communities in social media where they're going to thrive and learn. You know, it, it, it's less about the structured, here's a course, off you go, take it and job done. But it's much more about helping employees understand what it is to be part of a community on social media and how you can get so much more out of that and how you can help teach others. And, and for me, that's where the connection is with learning, I think, for employees. I think, you know, we, it might be easier to say it's like, it's like best practice finding. Um, many people don't know how to harness a network and that can feel quite intimidating. I think for even, even the average person, I think can look at that and be like, mm, this can be, how, what do you mean? Ask about a best practice. But in these communities, you know, and I can speak about agility, change communications, leadership, um, even your alumni network from a university, like we have one for School of Communications at Howard. Um, you can go in there and you're seeing what are your peers, your peer group doing at different types of companies. And as they share these stories, you too can learn and grow and find these best practices like, oh my gosh, I just read this story about Pfizer or Ericsson or I understand that companies are using different types of platforms. Employee advocacy is becoming a channel, a different way to do things. Um, some companies have stopped advertising altogether. Those things are really interesting to learn and grow. And in the past, the access to that meant you had to have this pretty elite network or some really great, great scholarly article subscriptions. You can still have both. Um, but now if I'm just going and, and joining like a LinkedIn group or listening to clubhouse chats or tuning into the right Twitter spaces, you can totally access the best practices without having to do as much legwork um, or as have a specific an elite network as before. So I agree. I think online learning for employees, there's the formal, but just joining some groups can help you grow your network and definitely harness some best practices. Amazing. So are you, is your connection okay? Are you, are you uh are you with us? No, not really. No, it's feel, not feel, good. Feel free to. Gonna... <laughs> I, I'll, I'll just. I'll ask another question. Feel free to to rejoin if you if you would like. But yeah, it's it's, okay, it's okay. I was going to ask about. Yeah, I was going to ask about Kevin. Clubhouse actually. So, but I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll be okay, back. Okay, so Clearly, we'll, we'll, back. we'll pause that question. Um, yeah, Danielle, you were talking about the the DNI uh, diversity mm -hmm. and inclusion framework for everyone that's not familiar with that term um and obviously social media is a big part of what you do um what do you where do you think the sort of intersection is between employee advocacy social media and dni where do you think where do you think it it can be best so sort of, i don't want to say rolled out because it's obviously about embodying the values but there's obviously an, an amazing medium for social media to communicate those messages there's obviously the culture of the organization and employee advocacy can be part of that. So speaking wider than BP, just in general, but it'd just be great to, I know you created, um, I think you designed three, uh, three frameworks uh, for three different companies. So it'd just be great to hear your experiences about what you think the opportunity is in these roles. So I think if I can step back for a second, diversity and inclusion, Diversity, equity, and inclusion should be part of any company's DNA. Um, and I'm proud to say that it's increasingly a part of ours at BP. And we are on that journey. And we've shared our DNEI framework. Um, and I'm really excited about that. But to take it to the 360, because if you said I've, I've helped develop frameworks at three different companies, you cannot have an employee advocacy program that is narrow. Um, inclusion needs to be part of employee advocacy and I would say part of your social media strategy if you want to be successful in that space. So one, start to think about how is your company culture embracing and celebrating um, diversity, equity and inclusion and hold up the mirror. It doesn't mean that you are perfect. Few companies are. Um, and it means, for example, as you think about your social media strategy and your employee advocacy strategy, you don't miss days that are meaningful to different aspects of society and the global society as a whole. So Monday was Pansexual Awareness Day. And for me personally, that was ensuring that some of our colleagues and leaders were aware, you know, why don't you add pronouns 
um, on your social media space. That is such a nod to inclusion. It's so important. We're going into Pride Month here in the UK. What a better time to do this than to let people know that you want everyone to feel included and to ident gender identify as they see fit. That's number one. Another way today, unfortunately, it's almost incredible to think it's one year since the George Floyd murder. And I spent the morning, I think many people did, sort of mining, looking at, you know, what, what are companies saying in this space? Um, no one is expecting, you know, no one is expecting for companies to come out with, you know, big pom-poms to say, hurrah, this is over. But it is a great opportunity for companies and their employees to reflect on where they are on their journey towards being an inclusive company, towards driving equity, to stamping out racial injustice in their company, because that is important to their employees. Many employees don't feel like we that we have had a voice. And I can say that we have had a voice um, in that space. But we're seeing that now. We're seeing feeling a bit more welcome, being um, empowered to say more about how we feel um, in the DEI space. And I'm here to say that if you have those things together, so you have an inclusive employee culture and you're on that journey, you're starting to see your leaders speak up more about it. Your employees with the full cross-section of your employee base may start to feel more comfortable to sharing with their with their network about your company's achievements about your company's journey not just in the dnei space but how are you doing like how are investors feeling about your company what's your company's strategy um and you're seeing that like it doesn't matter the employee advocacy program you study or examine they're going to tell you that that you need to start from the inside your employees need to feel welcome appreciated valued um before they start to go out there and speak about the company especially in a global company, this is not. This doesn't feel culturally comfortable to everyone to start to talk about. This is what I do at my job. In fact, if we think about it, Tim, Sarah, what? Not even five years ago, you would see somebody comment on something about where they work, and you'd think, "Oh, that person's going to lose their job." So, employee advocacy is a completely new angle. Thought leadership across a business, not just with the CEO, completely new angle. But the two go hand in hand being um, inclusive, celebrating diversity, and having a robust employee advocacy program, they have to go together. And that's why like, you will see who I am as a person. Um, to bring it back to what we we're starting about today, like my network, they would expect for me for International Women's Day to write as I did, because this is a space I've always been active in. Um, they expect for me to be doing panels and speaking about the role of the Caribbean woman and how that is changing and our journey. And I've done that. That's who I am as a person. So now, because I can celebrate that and speak about that and that journey, when I speak about the achievements that BP has, you know, more than 40% of our leaders are female now, people believe me. Like, it's credible because they know this is important to Danielle, the person. It's not just she was asked to share press release and she press send. So long-winded answer, but so important that we just understand that marriage between being an inclusive company, recognizing where you are on your DNEI journey, and using working with that to help be reflective and say, ha, we have more work to do. What can we do more of? And start to celebrate diversity. And then maybe you can consider having a better employee advocacy program and approach. It's yeah, it's amazing. All right, my back. It, it really starts with trust. And I think, Danielle, you raised such an important point that <clears throat> I think this is where a lot of people go wrong with advocacy, actually, is that they see employees as another channel. Um, they are not a channel. You know, they are voices that are behind mm -hmm. the logo. And each one is unique in its own way. And, you know, uh, but it starts with trust and it starts internally with trust. And, and you keep referencing, actually, storytelling, which I love because um, every employee has, has a different story to tell. They have a different history. They have a different background. And, um, and you practicing what you preach gives confidence to others to at least try and and think well you know I like the way Danielle did that and you know she has a voice and she's okay with using it and maybe I'm okay with using it so so important I just love that so thank yeah you. I think I, I really want to just bottle everything that you said there and uh, and you know I think a lot of people could could learn a lot from what you're saying and how you submarried that that the whole thing's together I was I was also on the on the other side of that thinking about you know, I would feel comfortable talking about uh, the uh, representation that we have with gender equality you know, at, at my company. But when I talk about diversity, you know, equity and inclusion, I feel very passionate about it, but I wouldn't feel that confident about what I could say on social media. Mm. In that I wouldn't, 
I would be scared of using the wrong terms. Or you know, if I worked for a really big organization, I would think, well, maybe I would not be seen as the person to talk about that or maybe seem inauthentic or seem like I'm pushing a company message and there might be quite a lot of risk there. Um, do, do you think that's a big challenge with with leaders just in general across really large corporates? Because I, I think that it may be an area that's so important to people, but they just might not be confident about talking about it. So Tim, you're, you're a CEO, right? So you have, you know, the burden of title. I just made a joke about that with someone this week. So you have the burden of title. So yes, when you are writing, you do need to get it right. So hopefully you have some folks that you can work with that can say, all right, Tim, here's where we are. And I think it is very important. Um, I think our CEO, Bruno Looney, has been stunning at just recognizing and being vulnerable and recognizing where he are, where he is. Where, the, where we are as a company, where we are on this journey. That's all good. You're seeing that across the board, CEO after CEO, just acknowledging, hey, like we are still learning. We have work to do in this space. We can be more inclusive. And I think it's starting, that's the start. And, and the why is also important. You know that Simon Sinek start with why. Talking about why you recognize that diversity, equity, and inclusion is important is super important because we can smell the fakeness in, in the social media space, right? Like if we think you're just doing this to be, oh, well, it's pansexual day, so tick in box, I shared something, that's not gonna work. We wanna know the why. Why does this matter to you? It's a bit like when I speak about disability, I have a disabled cousin who was born with spinal bifida. That's the type of personal connection people want. So I understand that when you look at a doorway and it's the wrong weight, I understand what I can do to a person to recognize they can't go through the door. Or when there aren't other options to, provide transport for folks that are disabled. I have a personal connection. Amazing way, and it, it, it gives me access to those conversations in a different way. That's what we're looking for. So we're not looking for you to say, um, I'm not sure I have this term right, but to recognize. Um, we, I'm early in this journey and I've recognized possibly I haven't given enough focus to this, so that's it. However, to bring it back to employee advocacy, um, who would not be CEOs, because you guys in a thought leadership space, what you say can sway a share price, so it's slightly different. Um, you, you have the burden of title. Um, for us average employees, I think it's really important for, for two things. One, an average employee is not a BP spokesperson. They're not a company spokesperson. And that's really clear. If you're an employee advocate, um, you're not a spokesperson for the company unless your um, job description says that. You're still required to get approval if you're going to speak on, I don't know, uh, a podcast. You've got to have approval to do that. Your boss needs to know and make sure it's okay. But when they are just posting on social media that's why it's important to encourage employees regardless of the company speaking the first person that's what resonates more that's why employee messages can reach up to 24 times a corporate message because it's personalized and authentic so first person i believe i think i've seen that i know that um in my opinion it needs to be their opinion not regurgitated so that takes time as well because tim while you still have the burden of title many people just have the burden of seeing it go wrong or that burden of the fear of the unknown. Like, what if I say the wrong thing? Forget about diversity, equity, and inclusion. What if I say the wrong thing about something else that is even more meaningful to me as an, as an individual? Because for me, DNEI is important. For others, it could be something else. It might be they talk about something to do with finance and they don't have that permission. So you need to, as Sarah's saying, it's all about trust. There's no employee advocacy program without guardrails. There's no employee advocacy program without some best practice sharing. Um, help empower your employees and, and encourage them to remember what you do in your social space is still ultimately your word and your views. Make sure that's known and viewed. And if you do speak about the company that you work for, speak in a way that would make the company proud and make you comfortable. Yeah. If you can't find that intersection, don't do it because then it won't be authentic. Yeah, spot on. I almost just want to bottle that up and just replay that. It's brilliant, Danielle. Really well said. I, I, I feel like I'm switching topics here, but you've mentioned Clubhouse twice. And I just and I know it's such a hot new social channel and everybody's on it and everybody's on it. So I just wanted to get your opinion and just see how you use it. Do you just listen in? Do you step up and have a chat? What what how you know, because there's a lot of people that are probably listening that are, have heard of it and they've heard of Twitter spaces and they're kind of like, what is the, all this and what value can I get from it? So, Well, answering in my personal capacity, because that's the only one, I think my company, <laughs> like many others, is sort of still looking at Clubhouse and Twitter spaces to figure out, mm, is this right for us? Um, so, but for me personally, absolutely, I've done Clubhouse. I think it's an amazing way to learn and grow. 
Um, I, as I think about it from an employee advocacy perspective, I do have some questions. I think many corporates do. It's a bit more difficult to verify and authenticate that this person is truly person X from Y company sort of thing. But my goodness, what a great source of information. For me, in um, again, that gig economy space, um, it was amazing to join conversations about Trinidad and Tobago carnivals around the world and about the marketing around that, about brand tourism. Those are all spaces that I am passionate about. Um, so it was really great to jump in and join those conversations hosted largely by my network or folks on LinkedIn. I can tell you, I think Clubhouse and Twitter spaces are growing apace because I feel like I'm invited to something on them every day. And I'm excited to see how corporates jump on and learn. Um, and I'm thinking about, hmm, how can we make this work for my professional life as well? Totally. But I think everybody, if it's new, don't feel the need to have a full strategy there in the beginning. Go where your audience is. And then if you have this space, dive in. If you have that space to, for trial and error. Yeah, just keep so it going. I, I was wondering, since you're active across lots of different channels, uh, you've got uh, 7K audience in LinkedIn you're in, in terms of your direct network and and uh, nearly 3K uh, in on Twitter. Do, do you have a, an understanding of the breakdown of of who represents those audiences and the different topics you talk about from different channels would love to just hear, you know, what, what your kind of strategy is or what, what you think the makeup is. Totally. So I can speak to you with a lot of confidence about my LinkedIn. Cause remember I said, I'm very LinkedIn focused personally. Um, I write about leadership change, agile leadership, helping leaders win through change, helping to empower teams. Um, very easy to, to say, you know, helping brands and individuals find their spark in a single sentence. So my network on LinkedIn, I have largely middle to senior management. I am skewed heavily towards um, the energy industry and the finance industry. I've worked in those industries. Um, and that's why um, I have a large agile leadership uh, following and many, many communicators, both at my company at companies I've worked for, including Reliance, where we have a joint venture out in, in India and others. So folks are looking at me because they know me in that space. Um, other followers as well, I, I think I mentioned finance. Um, and from time to time, I get people from the finance sector in, in particular, um, in what I would call the developing world, reaching out to say, Daniel, tell me more about agile leadership. Um, tell us more about your journey there. So folks just looking to see how trial and error and growing in a suddenly remote environment last year, that was big. So that's my 7,000 broken up. And if I'm to think about, because I believe in personas, if I'm coaching folks that are just getting started in a social media strategy, I believe in writing the persona of who follows you, who do you want to follow you, and how are you engaging? I think my follower is largely like a late 40-year-old um, female um, she might have been in a company 10 to 12 years um, and is wondering ways to, to be dynamic and try new things. Um, my followers are also quite interested in diversity, the role of women, the role of um, the Caribbean as a developing region. And increasingly, because I am so passionate about sustainable development, having studied environmental management and communication and now working at BP, like purpose and life aligning there, <laughs> uh, I am sharing and helping um, folks understand the importance of net zero and the energy transition. So I, I hope that was helpful, but I do know who my people are. And I challenge people, if you don't know who's following you, you're probably writing content that's not firing. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice, Daniel. Great advice. Now, Mariana's on um, and she's just sent, sent us a little uh, question here. So thank you, Sarah and Tim, for organizing this talk and for all the insights. Would you recommend some resources, web or books, best practices, guidelines about advocacy? And that's from Mariana. So thank you for that question. Thanks, Mariana. Gosh, great question. Um, I'll, I'll go first because I think you can probably ask Sarah and Tim too. Um, I, we spoke about that online learning. Um, there's one person who I think is a great individual to follow for employee advocacy. It's William Aruda. He speaks a lot about personal branding. He's written a recent article uh, within like the past three months about personal branding for the employee over 50. Um, I'm not over 50 yet. I don't think anyone would have thought no. that, Danielle. But, uh, just worth no. saying, all good if you are, but just worth saying, that was so useful for me, thinking about my audience, um, again, that my, as I said, you know, who my follower is on LinkedIn, that was very useful to read and share. If you just go into Forbes, 
and you just type William Maruda, all these articles will come up. So I'm a strong believer in him. He helps with personal branding, employee advocacy, etc. Um, that's one um, angle. Um, there was also one of my favorite pieces. I think it was an HBR. It's like a 2017 read about the power of employee advocacy. That's good. And dude, Google, Google is my best friend. And I think employee advocacy, depending on industry. So I've been quite obsessed with the results for the fast moving consumer goods industry and how they're using employee advocacy, because I think there's a lot to learn there, um, as well as, of course, tech. And if you're in for a read, it's not quite employee advocacy. But two areas to focus on by way of reading, Satya Nadala's Hit Refresh is a must read for oh, anyone that's talking about doing things differently. Um, and the importance of purpose, purpose and employee advocacy go hand in hand is how we are building our strategy at VP. Um, follow Jay Shetty. If you're not following Jay Shetty, uh, lo love him, love his writings. My goodness, his camera presence is stunning. Also, so looking at him on YouTube, um, so that's not quite employee advocacy, but you you need to get your mojo too. So make sure that you are filling your cup to understand channels for employee advocacy. Tim, Sarah, like who do you guys follow for employee advocacy tips? I mean, obviously, I think you might follow on a little girl. Oh, Michael, yeah, Michael Brito is good. Uh, Daniel Guzman's amazing. If you don't know Daniel Guzman, Daniel, I think we need to bring the two Daniels together because well, you guys I, I are going to love thinking, each other. I was thinking oh. that Daniel, Anita. <laughs> Um, and the to. other Danielle, uh, I think, would make a like a, a, a tour de force along with Ian Gertler and other people. So, yeah, happy mm -hmm. to connect you all. Yeah, awesome. yeah. There's quite a nice little community, actually, of real practitioners that understand not advocacy at the tool level, but also but advocacy and its impact on brand storytelling voices you know there's susan emmerich's another one that i follow um she's a legend in this space i think she started advocacy before it even was called yeah. advocacy at ibm um you know so there's a lot of really good practitioners great conversations around this topic so yeah, yeah there's people like damien corbett and michelle carvel yes. uh, looking at execs mm -hmm. on social and yeah i mean but book. also i mean yeah exactly yeah. Uh, it's on my desk. And I love that. Of course, the tribal impact, uh, you know, all your research report that you put out the other day. You know, so I, I think what you've said, Danielle, is that the uh, disaggregated learning, you know, I, I think the book, I would love to read lots of books. I'm actually not a big book reader, but I consume a lot of the content from individuals on social all the time. So the, you know, HBR, like other people, I definitely follow those names that you mentioned. And yeah, just love picking up the snippets every single day from all the community. It's really yeah. strong. That's so honest, Tim. I think many people are not big readers and might not say so. Um, kudos for that courage and honesty, but it's key. I think people are consuming micro learning is big as well. Um, and even if you can't read the whole book from Hit Refresh, you can get um, excerpts and others. Um, Mariana, you were asking the second name um, I don't know if it's William Aruda or Satya Nadala, um, Rebeg. I also think when I think about thought leadership, um, I, I love the thought leadership pieces that I'm seeing from Thrive, like Thrive, you know, Ariana Huffington, like anything you're seeing from Thrive Global is quite helpful. And then my tip, follow the CEO of choice um, from the company you admire of choice. But I, I think Tim and Sarah, where I am, like my thought leadership, sorry, my employee advocacy space is, I think leaders are kind of getting it, right? Like the C-suite is getting it. Oh, I have to do something. Like people are looking at this can impact share price. I think that seeing that more and more, like insert name of Fortune 500 company and their CEOs on LinkedIn, right? What is the next step is employee advocacy is most powerful in the diagonal slice of their organization, like all the way to the front line. Like I care as much about the employees in the forecourt and their stories as I do about folks in the C-suite because they all work towards helping our company reimagine energy and reinvent VP. And I think that's so important. I'm hoping that I'm seeing that from other employee advocacy programs as they're being developed and delivered. We're early in our strategy, we're early in our reinvention journey, but we are excited about our future and I'm happy for our employees to be on board with us. Oh, Amazing. What a great way. What a, I've written so many things down. Mariana, the other one was Danielle Guzman from Mercer. So that's the one. And hello, Keith. You need to watch the replay on this one, Keith. You're going to love this. School wait, run waits for no one unless you give it to your other half to do. I can relate. I outsource my school run today. My husband's <laughs> outsourcing the school run. I love that. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So. Oh, fantastic. Right. And, and I. I wonder whether you've got any observations or whether you've done any analysis on 
the maturity of employee advocacy across energy and finance mm. compared to tech? Because, I mean, Sarah and I work across a lot of these different industries and we always love to do studies and research. Did, did you just, from an observational angle, like have a, have a look at like the maturity of, I, I imagine you did the energy industry, but since you're very um, you're well-versed in the finance one as well, did you, are there any observations you can share with us? I think, and this is purely observational, I wouldn't by any way quote any research, I couldn't anyway, because it would be um, for, for our company kind of thing. But observational research, I can say, I think front of the house for employee advocacy was largely tech um, because they were born in, in that time, right? So, you know, in your native company, you'd expect to see Uber, you'd expect to see LinkedIn doing thought leadership sort of thing, and that's what's happening. But finance, I think, is actually much more advanced than the energy industry, which we're fairly nascent in that space. But um, refreshing to see us waking up and doing this, fast-moving consumer goods, thinking about it from a very much sales angle. So their employee advocacy is very different. I think that's a different genre of employee advocacy, right? like sharing or blogging with the view of a sale or helping people understand and my goodness, it's not employee advocacy, but influencer strategy is just like a whole other book, right? Like it's a whole other chapter of this. But I think that that and the employee advocacy in FMCG was very much closer to the, the scale and rate of change that we saw in tech industry, followed by finance, who got really good. And I think coming out of um, the financial crisis, um, recognizing wanting to speak a, a bit more direct to customer, um, they got a bit better at it. And we are seeing other industries, including my own energy, waking up in this space. And more employees are, I would say, you're, you're graduating from university or coming out of high school and you're expecting this. You know, you use social media in your daily life. This is how you're going to find out about your company. You're not going to read all your internal columns. There's no more printed magazines. Like, those are so rare. Um, now it is, like, what's my company seeing in the digital space? And I love seeing how companies are taking the internal, external, and vice versa. The trends are endless, but it's such an exciting time to be in this space, such an exciting time to be an employee and, and a great time, I think, to be alive as we celebrate diversity, inclusion. You're seeing all those stories. I'm just loving um, some of the great things that social is doing right now. We spoke about that educational space, Tim. I'm, I'm learning every day. Yeah. Amazing. Well, so we'll, we'll probably have away. to wrap. Well, exactly. Exactly. Look at the time. <laughs> So we normally speak for about you know, 35, 40 minutes, but uh, yeah. but it just it could go on as uh, as Sarah and I always we have such amazing guests and you're yeah, um, uh, uh, equally as amazing. We could speak for hours. So thank you so much for for joining, Danielle. I think the energy industry is probably the right one for you. I mean, you bring so much passion and energy to, and you got the knowledge there that you know. Uh, I love how you bring all your interests and together, and the corporate purpose as well. So. So best Wonderful. of luck with everything. And thank you so much for sharing all your tips and tricks with uh, with the people that are watching. Yeah. And, Thanks yeah, so for, much. This has been oh, a, a really, oh, this, this was amazing. Thanks for, for reaching out, especially we're so early in our journey to even be considered for this conversation is stellar. And I'm loving what you guys are doing. I can't wait to see the next, speech, next speaker and the rest of your series. Oh, Great. Thank, thank you so much. You. And for anyone watching, please visit Onlytic and Tribal Impact's website. You can go under the resources section and find uh, a lot more interviews. And we're going to produce uh, an ebook soon with a lot of uh, snippets from the videos from these uh, employee advocacy interviews. So watch out for that. It's coming in the, in the next few weeks, I think. Awesome. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks, everyone, for listening and all your wonderful comments and questions. Really appreciate that. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.